back to you from the Sarah Carter podcast here at um, my Carter Batcave at home. I'm just like you, you know, uh, in a, in a lockdown. It's crazy because uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what's happening at with Fox News and with all the other news organizations. I'm sure a lot of us are either doing our hits from home uh, remotely. And some of us are able to get into certain studios, but we're taking all kinds of precautions, just like everyone else. Uh, you know, of course the social distancing, staggering people to come in, uh, for their hits, to be able to talk to you directly and keep the news flowing and keep the news going here at the Sarah Carter show. I've got Jenny in Houston. She's amazing. She's with her parents in Houston right now. And, uh, you know, she told me a story the other day. I'm sure you're all having your own stories out there. think about this, but you know, Jenny's mom went to uh, target, uh, cause they opened it early. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not saying anything. Jenny doesn't want me to say publicly, but you know, they opened it earlier. So if you're older, you can go in there and not get infected, uh, hopefully by anybody else that's young and so they're trying to stagger people going in my son alex is you know he works at trader joe's um uh while he's in college and he basically at at trader joe's uh you know they're they're limiting hours um there's a you know of course it's an essential service so he's going to work i have uh my you know my daughter sophia She's in college and she was working with young children at a daycare. And uh, so the daycare is closed down. So nobody there is working. We're all feeling it. And our and our very youngest, uh, Annalise and Luke, are, you know, both at home doing their schoolwork remotely. Uh, so everybody's learning how to be a teacher and keep their jobs and parent. And I know all of you are out there doing the same. And that's why we're all in this together, because we want to do its best to save the most lives. And we want to be able to be there for one another. You know, we have neighbors who are elderly and who are over 70 years old, and we text them and ask if they need anything. Uh, So far, we just get really funny text messages back that they're losing their minds in their house, uh, but that they're all good. And of course, there's home delivery services for groceries and such. But just checking in on your neighbors, checking in on your uh, church leaders or synagogue leaders, finding out like how people are doing, how your community leaders are doing, what we need to do to move forward together as a country. And that's why I'm here with you today, because I've, you know, it's exciting being able to do the podcast and being able to talk directly to you in your homes, because that's where we're at. We're all at home. We're all kind of working through this and we're all figuring this out together. I have two very special guests on today. So I want you to just kick back and listen to the show um, because we have Jenna Ellis and she is incredible. You know, she's the president's personal attorney. She is also the senior legal advisor for the campaign, uh, Donald J. Trump uh, for president. She's talking about like what she's going through, right? And how, you know, what's happening at the White House? How is the president handling this incredibly He is handling this with such, I mean, can't wait for you to hear this interview with her because every single day, President Trump is working with his advisors in the White House. He's up early in the morning. He's talking to people, trying to figure out what is the best way, how can the federal government, right, best assist the states, 
because we're a federalist society. I mean, we each state individually is in charge of their own. But how can the federal government best assist to ensure that Americans are getting the best of the best? Well, the commander in, you know, in chief of this country, president, is is leading that effort every single day. He's hosting a, you know, uh, basically a press conference from the White House talking to us directly. And we go into and I'm sorry to say this. This is so sad in a time when we should all be together where there is politics involved and we're seeing now media outlets who are obviously anti-trump we've seen that from the very beginning now threatening not to play his press briefings jenna talks about that she talks about what's happening there at the white house and about how you the american people just in case any of these media outlets stop airing his daily press briefings with the public, how you can access that and still continue to see it for yourself. Because this is America. We should be pulling together through this and we should be moving forward. Our other guest, incredible guest, is Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia. He is talking about his state and how the great state of Georgia is dealing with this. Um, He talks about China and Chinese propaganda and what he's doing, along with other lawmakers in the House, to encourage a temporary ban on all exports of, you know, coronavirus testing and diagnostic equipment, uh, personal protective equipment, respirators, pharmaceutical supplies, you know, imposing a temporary ban, just a temporary ban so that our hospitals can get those first. Right. Because that's what's important. We have to take care of our own first. The European Union's already done that to some extent. You know, we're we're looking at protecting our own people first. We're going to talk about China and how this began in China and the responsibility of the Chinese government and how they did not inform our American public. We're also talking about I can't leave this out because this is so important. We know that Congressman Collins is running for the Senate right now. Uh, Senator Kelly Loeffler is there. Her, you know, her polls are dropping. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that uh, there has been a number of reports out there. We've even written them here at SarahCarter.com about what happened uh, when, right before the stock market crashed. The fact that uh, Senator Loeffler uh, and others had access basically to closed or intelligence briefings that uh, gave them knowledge of the magnitude and the impact that the coronavirus was going to have here in the United States. Um, Allegedly, a lot of these stocks were sold. Kelly Loeffler is saying that this is false, that there was, you know, she didn't have any knowledge of what was being sold. Uh, There is a lot of contention there with what she's been saying because of some new information that's come out that uh, makes it highly suspect. So she is defending herself. Congressman Doug Collins said he was sickened over the allegations that uh, Senator Loeffler had sold millions of dollars worth of stocks in the days before the coronavirus outbreak and that the stocks that she purchased appear to be stocks that would have surged had an outbreak broken. So he's going to be talking about that. Very important. I think that you really need to listen to that Um, again. My heart is with you. I'm thinking about all the families out there that are really going through a really tough period. 
I can tell you for me and my husband, it's been tough. I mean, we're working with Annalise. He's staggering. His job has him staggered coming in and out on different days of the week. Uh, as you know, he's blind. So he's trying to teach a seven-year-old uh, homework while I'm working. Uh, you know, being blind, it's not easy. And you know, having a seven-year-old trying to explain what's on her homework assignments is not easy. So uh, we try to, I, as well, compromise, figure out a way to do that. Um, her teacher is phenomenal. Her school has been phenomenal. It's really pulled together. We're online learning, just like a lot of you. Uh, but I got to tell you, it's an amazing feeling to be able to see my daughter every day and also to learn, I mean, all the little details of all the things she's been doing at school every day. I mean, of course, I'm in communication with her teacher all the time, but not to the extent that we are now over the last week and a half where I'm actually, you know, doing the teaching, uh, knowing how her class is operating. I'm actually thinking this might be a good idea to implement for teachers, you know, across the country. And when this outbreak ends and it will end and we will get better and we will all be better for it when this ends, um, maybe taking some of these lessons learned and learning from what we've had to experience, you know, being more active in our children's lives, knowing what their teachers are going through, knowing what their curriculum is all day long and, uh, you know, being a part of that. Um, I also do not want to forget before we get to our first interview, I also don't want to forget uh, all those that have been directly affected. I mean, directly in the sense that they have loved ones in a hospital or who have lost their loved ones due to this horrific virus. Uh, my heart just breaks because the U.S. death toll has surpassed 1,000. Uh, people that have died, uh, of course, to this virus and the effects that that is having on their families has to be insurmountable. Uh, we also have 69,210 confirmed cases and growing uh, in the United States. Uh, we also, all those of us who have been affected in small business like me and everyone else, uh, the Labor Department right now is reporting across the country a surge of 3.28 million unemployed employment claims. That's a lot to take in. Uh, it's very difficult. And we also know now that the Senate has unanimously passed, and that was on Wednesday, a $2 trillion uh, stimulus package called the CARES Act. Uh, it's the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. Um, this is supposed to help our economy. It will help us as individual small businesses and large businesses and individual workers uh, get back on their feet once this crisis subsides and hopefully will help us stay afloat during the crisis. Uh, we're going to keep checking in on that and making sure that the federal government as well as our state and local are following through on their promises. Here at the Sarah Carter Show, we will keep them, we'll hold them accountable, we'll keep them in check. And just so you know that the world, the worldwide cases right now are surpassing 491,600 cases, confirmed cases of coronavirus worldwide, with a death toll right now of 22,169. Uh, so that's a lot to take in. Um, hopefully, you know, we find something to battle this invisible enemy and we find a way to get through this uh, together. And I promise you, I'll be here for you. 
all the time. Please follow uh, me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. Please go to our website. We will keep you updated at sarahacarter.com. Remember, we're in this together. I'm here for you. I know you're there for me. We're there for each other. And uh, we're an American family. We're one family. And I guess we've realized right now we're a global family. And we are going to have to rely on each other uh, to get through this. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my first guest. It's going to be Jenna Ellis. She is, um, remember I said she is an advisor, uh, the senior legal advisor for the campaign, Donald J. Trump. She is going to talk a little bit about the media, about what's happening in the White House and how the White House is handling this uh, from the inside. This is the inside scoop, right, guys? It's the inside scoop. And you know how President Donald Trump has really come to the forefront here on tackling this crisis and truly, truly cares about each and every one of us and certainly about our country and getting that message across and what that means and how the media has handled that. And then we have an incredible, incredible interview with uh Congressman Doug Collins of the great state of Georgia, and you really got to hear it because that's also inside information of what's happening on Capitol Hill. And he also talks about his own personal life and how he and his family are handling this as well. And you will not want to miss it. Again, thank you so much for being here at the Sarah Carter Show and enjoy these interviews. Jenna, I'm I'm really grateful that you came on today. I know it's been uh, the last few weeks have been really upside down for so many people and uh, learning to live life and uh, semi lockdown. I know you're doing your part. I'm doing my part. But what we've seen over the last few days, and that's why I have you here, you know, as the senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign. And you have been very open and critical about how a large number of mainstream media outlets have responded towards President Trump. But what we've seen now is something I never thought I'd see, where we have NPR, some affiliates of NPR, we've seen MSNBC, uh, some at CNN, saying that they don't want to play the president's daily briefing, which is getting the message out to the American people. And by the way, Dr. Bricks, Dr. Fauci, Vice President Mike Pence, top administration officials are delivering information, critical information every day about the coronavirus uh, crisis, about the pandemic to the American people. I just think this is so upside down and wrong. And I wanted to ask you what you think about that. Yeah, Sarah, I think this is just such a ridiculous idea that that media is, is so fear-mongering, and they are completely hating on this president to the extent that they would actually choose to foreclose American access to critical information. I mean, can you imagine if in the middle of uh, of another war or, you know, World War II or, um, you know, the Gulf War, when a president would give a national radio address or a national television address, that some stations would choose not to cover it simply because they hated that president so much. I mean, this is a time of obviously we're in a national crisis, we're in a national emergency, and the best and most accurate information is coming directly from the president, the vice president, 
and their task force. And we as the American people need to have access to that. And thankfully, uh, the White House and um, and you know the president can stream that on Twitter, on the White House's website, and all of that. But a lot of Americans, you know, just stay uh, on their television, and they have the perception that if a network isn't covering something, then it doesn't matter or it's not as critical. And so, what the media is doing is they're trying to control the narrative here, and they're trying to purposefully put President Trump and the administration in the position of, of a no-win situation. They're trying to minimize the importance of what the president is doing as the commander-in-chief of this nation. And they are trying to say not only is that not important, and their talking heads are more important, and their opinions and their analysis are more important, but they're actually trying to tell you and me and the rest of their viewers uh, what to think about this crisis rather than hearing it directly from our commander in chief. And I don't care if you voted for Trump, if you're a Democrat, a Republican, uh, what you think about the coming election. He is our president. He is the commander in chief and he is the leader of this nation. And we have an obligation to hear that uh to hear what's going on directly from him and directly from the task force, because that's the most critical and accurate information. Absolutely. 100%, Jenna, 100%. The American people want to hear from their commander in chief and it's reflected in the polls. I mean, the most recent Gallup poll shows um, the overall approval rating of president Trump dealing with the, the unexpected, I call it the black swan event pandemic coronavirus with a 60% approval rating, overall approval rating. That includes Democrats, independents, Green Party members, people who don't even want to be associated. So we know 60% of the American public, based on this Gallup poll, are approving of how he's handling this crisis. And even though we have a federalist system where each individual state is doing their own part to handle the crisis, uh, the way that the federal government has been managing this. And, you know, he inherited many of these problems. We wouldn't even know about them if they weren't for the pandemic. So the critical nature of some of these problems that he inherited from past administrations, not just President Obama, but from President Bush, President Clinton, we could go all the way back. Why some of this critical infrastructure was damaged. I'm not trying to put the blame on anyone, but he is trying to fix that. And now we see 60% of the American people. Where do you think that's coming from? I mean, as part of the campaign, and I don't think, and I think it's very tragic in an election year that we're actually not hearing at this point from people in the campaign. I know that this that the subject of, of the, the crisis, the life and death issues dealing with coronavirus are exceedingly important, probably take precedence. But when I'm thinking of this right now, um, we're we're also in an election year and we need to be able to know what's going on. We need to be able to be informed. But I'm asking you as part of the campaign, when you see the 60 percent number coming from Gallup, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? How are how are you uh, maximizing on that to ensure that the American people do get informed? And how are you going to fight back against this media that doesn't want to inform them? 
Yeah, and I think that that 60% number is the critical linchpin of why the mainstream media doesn't want to carry the press conferences. Because you see that, you know, not only is uh, the Dow, you know, shooting up I mean, after the two hour town hall where President Trump and Vice President Pence were out in the Rose Garden and they just spoke to the American people. They were calm, reassured. They said, you know, they, they communicated the message that they are decisive leaders and they are making decisions in the best interest of the health, safety, and welfare of this nation. That includes not only the health and safety, physical health and safety, but also the economic health and safety. And these are dual interests that uh, President Trump said so clearly we can do two things at once and he can look at the broad scope, scope of um, multiple issues. And when you see the reaction of the American public, when they hear directly from President Trump and Vice President Pence, then that absolutely will have an effect on the election. And that 60% number is why the mainstream media doesn't want to carry the press conferences, because they know that this is President Trump's finest hour. He is showing that he is a wartime president, that he is determined, he's focused. I mean, I have been in meetings with him personally where I see him looking around the room and asking individual people, okay, what what do you think based on your expertise and your area? And then what do you think? And he is, he information gathers and then he as the commander in chief makes the best decision with the best possible information that's available. But the mainstream media doesn't want America to see the evidence of that. They don't want uh, America to hear that truth. They want to spin this as he's isolated. He's just wondering what's going on. He doesn't have accurate information. He's knee-jerk reacting. He doesn't care. All of these completely fabricated, false, insidious lies. And that can't be hidden when he is out there in the press conferences, uh, when Dr. Burks, who's amazing, uh, you know, the rest of the task force members, when they are providing the critical, accurate information to the public, the media can't spin this. And even the, the, uh, the correspondence and, and the press coverage that's in that room, you can tell just by the nature of their questions. They're trying to somehow trap him. I mean, they are not working with this president. They don't genuinely care about the health, safety, and welfare of America as much as they are trying to just take down this president because it's an election year. And we I, have seen wanna, this over and over and over for the past three years. I want to play, Adam, if you could please play me the clip of the, uh, during the president's uh, task force press conference, this question, the most ridiculous question I've ever heard. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you for your, your, uh, maybe your reflections on it, Jenna. What are your thoughts on this question? Uh, But could you go ahead and play that clip for me? Dr. Ajit Shah, who is the head of uh, Harvard's Global Health Institute, says that the key to getting this economy open as soon as possible is to test everyone who needs testing so we can quarantine all infected individuals and allow everyone else to go back to work immediately. Would you subscribe to that strategy? No, but I, I, and, we have tested more than anybody. I, and I not, saw him. And if not, how many deaths are acceptable? Yeah. How many? None. Okay. How many deaths are acceptable to me? And None. Okay, none, if that's your question. I mean, I don't know where he was going. The first part of the question was, okay, should everybody be tested? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, what we're going to ask, any question is a good question. But the second half of that question 
was almost as if he expected the president to give a number. Of course, no death is acceptable. What, what was your take on that? Well, my take on this is that every question from these leftist news outlets and organizations are framed in such a way that's entirely self-serving to them, that they are trying to simply trap him in the nature of their question. I mean, it's like he's on the stand and they're they're the prosecuting attorneys that are trying to cross-examine him. I mean, this isn't a press conference at that point. <laughs> you know, they're phrasing these at, at almost like, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, there's no good response. How many deaths are acceptable? I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. When you are, that, that has not only a, an overtone of accusing the president of not caring, but the response to that, I mean, I thought the president handled it so well by saying none. I mean, of course, when we you have a national pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, there are going to be some deaths. And that's why the president is so carefully making sure to get out all the accurate information. He is minimizing the risk and harm to the physical health, safety, and welfare of Americans, but also contemplating how he can maximize the health, safety, and welfare of the economy, because that's critical to American life as well. And that's the, that's the metric and that's the contemplation that I see him very carefully calculating moving forward into day 15 on Monday. And of course, he's not going, there's no perfect solution here because this is a national crisis, but he's going to make the best possible decision with the most accurate information available. But I guarantee you, Sarah, whatever he does, the mainstream media is going to try to manipulate that into saying that he made the wrong decision and they are going to keep spreading the lies that he's he doesn't care about the American people, and they're going to keep asking those blatantly ridiculous questions. Uh, well, and I'm thinking right now, just for a lot of Americans, they feel lost, right? Because they have the media doing one thing and targeting the president consistently. The president and his team is delivering the most accurate information that they could possibly deliver every single day to the American public. It's not like the president shows up once a week. He is at every single press conference delivering the message to the American people in, a, in such an unexpected and tragic situation like this where we have a, a, a global pandemic and we see that there's a lot of Democrats out there that are playing on this. And we can look at, uh, Jeffrey Lord did write a phenomenal piece you know, on the media, and it's out there. If anybody wants to read it, it's posted at the Daily Caller. Um, it's called the liberal Me the liberal media's credibility crashes. And Jeffrey is a friend of mine, and he is he's very good at explaining things and looking at what the facts are. But we have, you know, this divisiveness still in our country, even over the coronavirus, which is crazy. I I I try to think about this. It's like. How do you, it's like having, you know, uh, your children trust you to deliver, you, you know, when you're here, I'm here with my daughter every day. I tell her the truth. I try to calm her down. And I mean, you know, I'm telling her that this is why we're, you know, not going to school until the end of the year. But then when you think about the American public, if the media is targeting the president on one end and the president's trying to deliver a message on the other end, and those are crisscross messages, then it really does confuse the public. And I think you wrote such a phenomenal piece, and you wrote it for um, sarahcarter.com, and you talked about 
backing the president, being behind the president during this time of need. And I think that's something that people really need to think about. That's what happened during World War II. That's what happened during any crisis where Americans get together, regardless if you're Democrats or Republicans, and you back the administration and you work together as a family to get through a crisis. Talk a little bit about your piece and what you meant by that. Yeah, you know, Sarah, you made such an important point about um, confusing the public and how the, the mainstream media is just going back and forth. And they're, they're almost playing this game of regardless of what President Trump does, they want to frame it so negatively that they're going to, uh, to they don't care what the public actually perceives. And, you know, we as Americans are sitting at home wondering when life is going to return to normal, uh, wondering, you know, how how dangerous is this virus? wanting accurate information, we we should be able to trust the media to provide that and to back the president. But because they know it's an election year, they don't want to give President Trump any opportunity to show his genuine leadership and and to give an opportunity for Americans to actually rally behind President Trump. And that is such a an, an insidious and damaging uh motivation behind the mainstream media that they can't put their own bias aside in a time of national crisis to rally behind the president. So I wrote this column and it's titled, It's Time for Americans to Rally Behind President Trump. And this is um, my view of trying to to encapsulate what's genuinely going on behind the president's decision making and the fact that the media doesn't appreciate and will not cover the fact that President Trump is looking at all of the information, he is a sound, rational decision maker, and he absolutely is hearing from the nation's leading experts. And he's also hearing and understanding that the American worker, the people who aren't in the at-risk categories, the people who even if they do contract the virus are in the the low risk category who are staying at home or concerned about putting food on the table for their family, concerned about paying rent and want to get back to work. And he's balancing all of these issues as a national leader talking to governors. I mean, he's he has a phone call um, that he was just on today with uh, all 50 of the nation's governors talking to them about their individual communities. He is balancing this line so perfectly, being the federal commander in chief, but recognizing that our constitutional republic actually gives the most authority to the individual state governors to be able to do what's in the best interest of their own community. So he's partnering with them And he is showing so clearly how he is a leader, the commander in chief, but also recognizing that he's not a dictator like the mainstream media has tried to paint him for the last three years. He's not power grabbing. He's partnering. So so my column is trying to show that balance and to tell Americans we are good. We can trust in his leadership. We can we can have a sense of calm as much as possible, knowing that our leadership in the White House is absolutely competent. They're confident, and we will get through this together. And President Trump absolutely will win. And now, are we going to have some impact, unfortunately, on our country? Absolutely. That's what happens in wartime. And he says this is an in, an invisible enemy. But President Trump is making the right decisions, and we will come out of this as strong, courageous Americans. And it is time for all Americans to rally behind President Trump. 
I'm I'm telling you for uh, for all of you out there who have not read uh, Jenna Ellis's column, it's time for Americans to rally behind President Trump. You really need to read this. It was a phenomenal column when I when I read it when you and I were talking on the phone and you had said that you had a column and I said, well, could you please let me post it on sarahcarter.com? Could we get it out there? Because as soon as I read it, I thought, wow, this is, she's 100% right on the money with this. And I can tell you that there's been a huge response from uh, people who follow me on Facebook and you can follow, you know, follow me on Facebook at Sarah A. Carter. And Jenna, where can people follow you on Twitter? Can you just go ahead and give them your Twitter handle? Because I think it's important that people stay informed from the right people. Absolutely. And thank you, sir. And thank you for posting this. And I so appreciate all of the work that you're doing to get out the truth uh, to the American people as well. You can follow me at Jenna Ellis ESQ. You can also follow at Team Trump. And of course, follow uh, President Trump, follow the White House, follow the press secretary for the most accurate and up-to-date information. Don't just read the media columns. Don't just get their skewed perspective. Go directly to the source. And if your network doesn't cover the press conferences, stream it live at whitehouse.gov or on the White House's Twitter uh, handle, and you'll be able to see the full and complete coverage of the truth. Absolutely. And we're going to do that here. We're going to continue to post all of the White House press conferences um, on my website. It's Sarah A. Carter. Again, I want everyone to follow Jenna on Twitter at Jenna Ellis ESQ. Please follow her on Twitter. And like I said, like she said, follow the White House, follow, follow the people that are at you know, on social media that are that are there with the Corona, uh, with the Corona task force, the coronavirus task force. That means uh, Vice President Mike Pence, follow the president, keep yourself informed. Remember, there are people out there in the media, in the mainstream media, and as well as on some of the biggest uh, cable networks, although none bigger than Fox News, <laughs> which is great. But they're not putting out the truth and they're not telling you the truth. And we need the truth to get out there and we need people to be informed. And thank you, Jenna, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was a great interview with Jenna Ellis, but I'm going to keep this moving because we have so much to get to today. And I'm bringing on Congressman Doug Collins from the great state of Georgia. We know that we have this stimulus package coming in uh, and it'll be voted on in the House on Friday. Uh, so I want to hear everything he has to say about it. And also what's in that package? How is it going to affect you directly? Uh, the American people, right? Me, you, our small businesses, our 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 children in schools, our hospitals. We want to know how this package is going to help us directly. And I know Congressman Collins has the answers. Congressman Collins, thank you so much for joining me today here at SarahCarter.com. I know we're all uh, separated in lockdown mode. I was telling everybody at the beginning of the show how we're doing the show basically from all of our remote locations. Jenny is in Houston. Adam's at home here in Virginia. I'm at home here in Virginia, and I believe you are in Georgia. And I'd love to hear how your family is handling this, um, how your state is dealing with this, and how it's affecting you personally. Well, thanks, Sarah. It's always good to talk to you, and, and it's uh, it was pretty interesting down here. I would say that our the Collins family is back together. We're a tight knit bunch as it is, but to have both your uh, boys back home, living at home all the time, and of course my daughter and wife are here 
uh, it's sort of a cross between maybe uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, the Adams Family, and um, at times just a dysfunctional uh, episode of uh, what was that show where you were daring people to do things? You know, it's just like. <laughs> I think Joe Rogan is going to show up at any moment now and say, now you're going to get to go throw yourself off the back balcony because you, <laughs> I needed to run Skype and I couldn't do it. No, honey, I need to do it. So, yes, it's, it, we're like everybody else. It's uh, We would rather be out doing other things, but we're glad to be with each other. And, and we're safe and our family is healthy at this point. Georgia is um, experiencing a little bit of it uh, is growing. And I think that's a concern down here. We have over 1,300 cases today. Uh, 430-something in the hospital, 47 uh, deaths so far. And ours has been pocketed, really. We've had it a little bit more in the metro and in a couple of outlying counties. But all in all, we're doing well, in this, but it's always good to hear you. I'm glad to hear everybody is doing safe in your world. Yeah, thank you so much. I know we're, we're getting used to it, too, homeschooling. We have a 7-year-old. Uh, we're staying very close to all of our other children. Uh, one of one of our kids, our older kids, is afraid to come over because he's in an essential job uh, working uh, actually at Trader Joe's. My son Alex, and he's saying like, "Well, I don't want to come over and bring something just in case, you know, I pick something up." I think everybody's trying to figure out how to balance this out, and you know, kids in college and um, and of course our family so widespread our children's ages that we have, you know, the college age kids who of course have jobs and and then our youngest who are dealing with homeschooling. So just like every other American, we're focused in on that. Uh, the big thing, and this is something that I'm hearing from everyone, my close friends included, they're trying to figure out the stimulus package. What does it mean to them? How are they going to be able to apply for these benefits? Who do they apply with? Uh, you know, just so for for them, I think because like for everyone, even the administration, this is all so new. Um, this stimulus package, which is still has not been voted on by the House, did pass the Senate, ninety six to zero Senate vote. It's two trillion dollars, but we see what the House has been doing with this. Um, and up, and before I play the clip of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I wanted to kind of ask you, how do you feel about the stimulus package? Um, how do you think it's going to help us economically and help individual family members get back on their feet after all this is done? Uh, great, sir. It's a great question. And talking about families, of course, ours are split by like yours are. But there could be a whole nother podcast. I'm up for it whenever you want to. Talking about uh, <laughs> your young, your college age children who now are, quote, in essential jobs, wanting to actually tell you what they want to do and tell us that uh, they have such plans for, well, I'm not going to get it. And if I do, it's amazing when they want to go do something. It's OK. We're going to be safe. When you ask them to go get something, uh, no, dad, um, you know, I, I might catch something here. I mean, no. <laughs> Son, on the sofa in our house, you're not going to catch a thing. It's okay though, but you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I would rather I'd rather navigate how the the mind the, the stimulus package than the mind of a 21 year old. So at right. this point, we're good. Um, the stimulus package, I think, it, it's not where I would like to be. I mean, I'll be honest, and no, nobody, I don't think there's a member of Congress, House or Senate, that would say that this is where we would like to be because we're in such uncharted territory. We have taken such a hit to the economy and such a, a fear and a hit in our health of our people. You sort of hit us at, the, at, at both the things that you always look at. You look at the health of your populace and you look at the economy of your populace. We've taken hits in both. So I think to come back, what we've got to do is assure, and I think the president and his team have done a great job of saying we're on top of this. We're working as hard as we can to get something that we didn't expect, didn't see 
come out of China, which, uh, you know, to think about this, put this in perspective. For most of us, the first time we actually heard about this was in late December. Right. Now, and, and we're just, and that's just three months off, although it seems like an eternity. We were just coming off impeachment in the House, getting ready for the Senate. And then we just started hearing these glimpses of what's coming out of, of, of China. And by then, we didn't know how much they were underselling it to start with. So now we've got the problem of health, but we also got the economy. So you have this big package that focuses on health of people, getting our hospitals, first responders, the, the vaccines, the, you know, really everything that we need to fight this uh, disease um, together. And then on the other hand, you've got the government telling businesses basically to shut down. So we had to put in a lot for small business, put in a lot for individuals. And we're going to, I know on our website, and I know many others, you're going to start seeing how you can go and apply. You're, you shouldn't have to do anything to get the $1,200 or the family money that is coming, which hopefully will go to the right purposes in the right places. But the businesses will be able to go to their local banks, which is an encouraging part of this, to make sure that they can get the money they can have for liquidity to keep small businesses going. Because we would rather them pay their employees or be able to keep their employees going instead of lay them off and put them on the unemployment rolls so that when our economy, hopefully in the next, you know, this passes in the in the weeks uh, to come, that we'll be actually uh, ready to start uh, an economic growth again instead of what we're going through right now. Yeah, uh, Congressman, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, particularly when we're thinking about what the Labor Department, uh, Labor Department just reported Thursday that there was a surge of 3.28 million unemployment claims. Uh, and I think we're gonna see a lot more unemployment claims. And just in my community here in Virginia, there's a lot of small businesses that have just shut their doors uh, and they're, you know, they're frightened, they're scared, they've had to lay off workers. Uh, they've had to, uh, basically they've lost a lot of the produce that they've, uh, if, especially if they're a, a bakery or something else, they've lost a lot of their goods and services that they had already purchased. So I think there's a lot of concern how this is going to play out in the future. I want you to hear, I want you to hear a clip though of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and I'm going to talk to you about what appears to be all of these extenuating, uh, I guess, uh, funding that she's put into the package uh, and how you feel about that. But I want you to hear the clip first. If we don't have unanimous consent, my two options with my members is to call them back to vote for, to amend this bill or to pass our own bill and then go to conference with them. The easiest way to do it is for us to come put aside some of our concerns for another day and get this done. You can support a bill because if it doesn't do okay. enough that you want to do, but that's what you can get. But if it has poison pills in it, then and, and they know certain things are poison pills, mm -hmm. and then they don't want unanimous consent. They just want an ideological statement. Poison pills. Can you talk a little bit about what she's referring to? Because what we've seen in the media is a lot of the poison pills came from the Democrats. Well, I mean, there's nothing more uh, noticeable that than Nancy Pelosi talking about spending bill and putting poison pills in it. That's what she does. Uh, for most Americans who understand that budgets have to be run and, and that the spending bills need to be based on some common sense and logic. That was from a, a, you know, from a little bit ago, and I think she's come around now to understand this bill is what has to happen. We were able to keep out of what we would consider right. most of the poison pills that she had, whether it be New Green Deal, to corporate diversity, shutting down our airlines on carbon emissions. I mean, just the things that they were trying to put in here are things that they could never get passed on their own. 
And it just goes back to very, very much of a frustration for many of us that, you know, that they still go off of the old adage is never let a good crisis go to waste. And, and the American people need to see that. Um, I mean, you've got AOC out here um, who I've just heard just recently was texting that the package doesn't go to those who are here illegally. It's like, really? Um, I, I don't know where we're missing this. It, it only goes to those who've actually paid taxes, those who are, you know, are, are citizens who are doing this. So, uh, again, the main thing to focus on here is that they're going to pass this. Hopefully we'll get it passed tomorrow um, and, and, and move forward. Is it everything that if you were asking me to to look at a bill and say, is this all the things that you would like to have? No, there's plenty of things in there I would not like to I would not like for us to be in this position. But I think for what the uh, Secretary Mnuchin and what the president all wanted to do is to get our economy stimulus into the economy as soon as possible. And these are the ways to do that and uh, to make sure that our businesses had the backstops that they need. You brought it up. I mean, look at how many I mean, small businesses and service-orientated businesses are just right now on lockdown because they have no revenue coming in, but yet they're still having to either pay employees if they, if they can or they're having to pay for the equipment that they have. Absolutely. I mean, I can tell you there's a gentleman that I spoke to just a couple of days ago out here, and I'll give you just a real quick story on him. I was, you know, driving around my community, and I noticed that one of the bakeries, a real famous bakery out here in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, was was still open and operating. And I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to go in and just say hi and maybe buy something and help him out get a coffee and 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 get some bakery goods and the gentleman that was working there is over 70 years old it's been in his business and he started it it's it's a part of his family um he seemed very upset he said i you know my kids don't want me working anymore i came in here because we didn't have enough employees and i didn't want to expose anyone to anything and i you know it's his business uh but i'm shutting my doors and he shut he you know he said that was the last day he was going to operate but that he was very concerned for his employees and he has a very successful business. And I think that a lot of Americans, you know, feel that way. They want to do the best. Americans pull together in a time of crisis. This is a time of war, just like the president has said, just like you have said, this is against an invisible enemy. But it's also that I think that unknown, you know, walking into the abyss is what some people describe it as because we've never experienced this before um, that we're dealing with. And so knowing that there's a stimulus package out there is fantastic. I think the problem is, is that there's mixed messages coming from the media. We've seen a lot of the mainstream media uh, you know, targeting the president still. President goes out there every day with his coronavirus task force. They they give a briefing, a daily briefing with the top doctors, Dr. Burks, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, the vice president is there, um, the, the top administration officials are there, and the president himself is there, and now they're targeting the president. And I just wanted to get your take on that, because I think that that type of crisscross messaging, saying, well, we shouldn't play the president's daily briefing anymore, and uh, targeting the president of the United States in this time of crisis is is really dangerous. Do you think we'd have heard that under President Obama? No, I, I, I don't think so. And, and again, it, this is really disturbing to me. And I hate that we're getting into the political side of this from the media. Um, but, you know, in years past, how many times have we ever sat in front of a, a or listened to a newscast or a, a reporter commentate on, well, the president hasn't done a press conference in 385 days. We haven't heard from the president directly and so on. This president talks to them every day. 
their problem is they don't like what he says. They inherently have shown that he has brought out their inherent uh, bias as far as their political persuasion. That's fine. I don't care. Most of us have known that to start with. But what he has done is they can't now fault him for not talking about it. What they fault him on is how he does it, what he says, how he answers the question. And then for the people of America who are outside that little beltway bubble, uh, which has, you know, I, I call it flying sometimes back into a, a sort of a Wally world or, or Walt Disney that it's just, it's just sometimes fantasy land where they believe that everything happens in the world surrounds them. When you get out here in the, the country, when you get out here in the North Georgia mountains, when you talk to my wife, who's finishing up 30 years of teaching this year and you know, show it, she may have finished. She, and this, I hope this is not here and she's not here right here for me to say this cause it'd probably be emotional. She may not get to teach her kids again in a classroom this year. Because the governor just shut our schools down until the end of May, I mean, until the end of April. They've only got a few more weeks after that. And this is someone who's devoted their life to teaching kids, and now she's doing it on the computer. For those of out there who are, are losing jobs because they're, they're service industry, for the press to not, I'm not saying cheerlead by any means. They shouldn't. They should be reporters to ask honest questions, ask tough questions. If it's not working, then ask why it's not working. But at the same time, remember, as I said, you know, many of us have talked about we're in this together. That includes them. And, right. and, and it's not that you cheerlead or, or do other, but it's you put out the information and you say, look, we, I may have a disagreement with the president on this, but here's how we can you know, work through this. So uh, it is frustrating. But the real, real stories out there that sometimes it gets missed. And that's why, frankly, America in many ways is just very frustrated with the whole you know, process and people turn away. And I think you're right about that. And people do turn away. We've seen uh, but we've seen an overwhelming uh, approval rating, if, if the Gallup poll is correct, an overwhelming approval rating of how President Trump has handled uh, this crisis with 60% of the American people approving of how he's handling this situation. I mean, those could change. Numbers can change, of course. We just saw that this week. So that's a good sign. I think that the part that's really difficult is that, uh, you know, when you remove information, for example, when you hear that NPR or uh, some of the other big mainstream media outlets are are suggesting not airing the president's uh, daily coronavirus task force briefing. Uh, that's very concerning to me. And you brought up your wife. And I got to say, thank God for teachers. That truly is the greatest, most rewarding and most difficult job. Uh, we have our daughter here. We're working on her packets every day. Her teacher is using Zoom, just like your wife, uh, other types of technology to kind of reach out to her students. And uh, I feel so terrible because you realize how important that is for our society, for our, how we operate. I mean, a lot of parents are at home right now with their kids. Some people are in essential jobs and can't be at home to teach them. So they have to find somebody else. So I think if, if anything, this made us realize how important our teachers, our school systems are, our essential workers, our healthcare workers. But, you know, going back to it, those are the stories that we really need to see the American public really pulling together, working behind the administration, um, at least trying to solve this crisis and resolve this crisis the best way we know how. And unfortunately, you know, for some, it's just become a very political uh, situation once again. 
Well, and, and again, I think it's where most people just are starting to turn off. We can have political battles. And Sarah, we, we talk about this all the time, whether on the, you know, in the well of the, of the house, we're in, in public forums and telephone halls, we're in interviews, podcasts, whatever we can. There, there's a there's a time and a place for uh, political discourse in this country. And that's what we're designed on. Our country is designed as said, been said in movies and often for, you know, it's it's this is uh, it's not easy for it to be a democracy because we're we we do allow people to express their opinions. That, that's the very in essence for those of us who serve in the military, like myself, mm-hmm. we fight for a constitution that believes in a First Amendment, even if what you're saying just offends me to my very core. I don't need a First Amendment if I if for things that I like to hear. I need it for the things that I don't want to hear because that's their right to say it. What I'm problematic is like you're saying is though is when did we become the part where media now gets to pick and choose what they want to give to the community instead of what uh, the commander in chief of our country uh, is doing. And, and moving forward, I think that's the problem that, that bothers so many of us is that they're they're choosing for themselves that we're just not going to air it at all. I mean, there's a thing of airing it and then maybe coming in and out when it gets into the question and answer times. But at least hearing the you know what the the task force is saying is is to me is something that's important. Absolutely. I wanted to move on to something that I think you're you're really fighting for. And you you put out a press release about it. Um, you said you're urging the Trump administration to ban exports on medical supplies that are needed here in the United States to fight the COVID-19 virus. Also, another issue which I think exposed a real big national security flaw for us was China and the fact that China is producing over 90 percent, over 90 percent of our antibiotics, over 80% of our painkillers, a lot of our medical supplies being manufactured in China. And now we're seeing the shortages. Um, I think the administration is doing an incredible job right now to turn the tide on that, to expose that, to fix that. Talk a little bit about uh, what your uh, what the ban export means and how you feel about China. Well, I, I think this is exactly so. It's really interesting. The president had been taking you know, a lot of criticism over the years for uh, his stand with China, the tariffs, the situation. But one of the, if you remember one of his themes was it's not just the bad trade deals. He kept emphasizing the fact that he need, we needed to bring jobs and manufacturing back home. And the and we're it is sort of leading off of this media question you have. The media was just consistently, that'll never happen. This is not going to work. It's okay. We're a global economy. You know, just on and on and on. Well, now all of a sudden, uh, by you know, I no means being him being a prophet or anything else. This has now come home for us to actually talk about. When you do have our pharmaceutical, when you do have manufacturing, when you do have our supply chains disrupted. Remember, early on in this uh, was more economic in the sense that the stock markets around the world were reacting to the fact that China was having to shut down and and our economic uh, f- footprint was being affected. What we didn't realize is how bad they were messing up the health side of it, which spread around the world as well. But I think for me, when I wrote the letter, there's two parts to this. Number one was bringing much of our infrastructure, especially critical infrastructure back home. What country would actually think about it and logically say, you know, it would be a good idea to have most of our drugs manufactured outside of the United States? Right. I don't, you know, we don't come to that in a, in a rational sense. It comes over time because of, of incentives. It becomes a, an economic conditions. But, but now I think this has put us in just as... Uh, you know, folks like myself and you are now learning, you know, how to do interviews and in, in, on national TV from Skype from my office at home instead of having to go to a studio. And and the, it's just new ways of looking at these ideas. So my hope is, is that in, in highlighting this was not only that we bring more jobs back home, but I was also very concerned with hearing from some of my hospitals, one here in northeast Georgia, 
that had bought a testing kit machine from a company here in the U.S. and then was told that they may or may not be able to get the fluids and stuff to operate that because they were shipping this stuff overseas. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a problem here. We got American companies shipping stuff overseas without filling American orders first. So it's it's a it's an export ban that other countries have done, and I think on a temporary basis will be something that we really you know probably should be looking at. Absolutely. Is that something that you think the administration is taking a close look at now since you brought it to their attention? I think they are, I think they are looking at it. I've had some conversations within you know with some folks. I, again, we're trying to triage right now and make sure that we get the economy you know uh, on safe footing. But I think by highlighting this, and we've highlighted that our our hospital was able to get the stuff that they needed, although there was some uh, some anxious moments there. But there was a concern that the company is not going to take on new customers. So it's like, right. okay, this is you know if you're not going to be taking on new customers, but you're still shipping overseas. Um, all right, what's the problem? So I guess we'll just have to see how that comes out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And what do you think about China's propaganda machine has gone into full throttle uh, against the United States? I mean, threatening to pull back our antibiotics, uh, say, telling the world that this is Trump's pandemic. We've seen it even coming out of Europe where the Chinese embassy, for example, in France has uh, made the hashtag Trump pandemic uh, basically trend. Along Twitter, uh, there is uh, there is a lot of concern that because China handled this so badly, because they have affected the lives of so many of their own citizens, that now they're turning it on the United States using this kind of propaganda machine to push uh, this uh, crisis on us. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, there's been concern from the beginning about China, but this is really, this is really extraordinary. It's really going overboard. Do you think that there needs to be some action taken uh, by the United States and others to maybe hold China accountable for for what happened here? I think there's definitely going to be some some determination of that. And as as, the, as this crisis in the U.S. gets more into the next few stages after we're getting the economic uh, and the health problems together and making sure that we're taking care of that, I think you'll see. Uh, the administration and, uh, and especially members of Congress turn toward that. Um, there's an old saying down in, in my part of the world called a bit dog barks. And um, what's happened now is China got caught. I, I believe they got caught in a very bad way. They didn't handle this the way that they were supposedly handling it up front. And it got away from them. And now they're trying to divert that attention. Remember, a society that is that is in that real interesting zone in China. If you if you deal with them you know, economically, they have this economic engine that is going and people are, are, are expanding and seeing their some of their income, their workers are then under the oppression of the, of the communist government. And, and I think they have to maintain that uh, uh, discipline because more and more their uh, citizens are now seeing what happens in other countries and right. the freedoms and other things that are there. So I think, you know, they're having to now try and, you know, put this back in the bottle, so to speak, and it's not working real well uh, because, you know, the free world knows where this started. And uh, and I think that's the part that they're having to deal with. But, yes, you're going to probably see if we can get back to what is – wouldn't it be nice, Sarah, to have a normal congressional hearing where we just sit there and we have witnesses <laughs> and people, you know, give uh, five-minute videos on what we did wrong. You know, I mean, I, we're looking back for those good days again when we actually back to looking at the things of the country instead of having to deal with it. Uh, in this, but I, but we're very serious in this country, and the Congress is very serious about get, helping people and getting people back um, to the footing in which they feel not only secure in their uh, health, but secure in their in their economic conditions as well. Congress can wait on those things, and we're going to do what we need to do first. 
uh, with this. But yes, China is definitely going to be something that I think is on top of uh, everybody's mind on how we deal with this. And I, if I was them, I'm not sure I'd continue the path uh, of trying to blame the United States. I'm not sure it's going to work real well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think so either. I think China's going to see a really big backlash from that. And before I let you go, I have to bring this up because you are going to be running for Senate. Uh, Kelly Loeffler is in a lot of trouble right now. Uh, there's uh, issues and allegations of insider trading. And she spoke with Fox Business host Neil Cavuto. And I'm, I want to play the clip for you because I'd like to get your response because I think you, like many other Americans, uh, were just stunned at uh, how some in our Senate and in our some of our lawmakers who had access uh, and knew about the potential dangers of the coronavirus may have taken advantage of it. And some are even suggesting insider trading. Could we play that, Adam? That's absolutely false. It is completely false. All the data that we've put out there is counter to that. It's fake news. It's very disappointing to see that this was picked up by legitimate outlets like the Wall Street Journal repeating what a fly-by-night outlet, liberal outlet like the Daily Beast wrote and said that I sold stock. Well, I what was, the Senator, own. could you tell me what was fake? What was fake? Was it the, 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 the timing of the sale that it had nothing to do with that coronavirus briefing? When did you sell the stock? Was it was it after that briefing, before that briefing? I don't do trades, Neil. I'm not involved in my portfolio. My husband's not involved. Our portfolio is managed by third parties. The actions are blind to me until they put it in front of me at the end of the reporting period. And I'll just tell you, in that portfolio, it's absolutely false that we sold millions. We actually, it was a more bullish bet. We ended up owning companies like Delta, like Goldman Sachs, like Aflac, like Prudential, companies that have been hard hit and um, ended up losing money and all that. No one's reported that. And it doesn't, you know, it has nothing to do with knowledge I had or didn't have because I had no involvement in these trades. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of people saying that that's not the case. Now, these are allegations, but there's a lot of reports out there that say that she was probably very well aware of these trades. What's your response? To, well, uh, her statement. Sarah, it's very, you know, it's, it's very disheartening that, you know, a member of the United States Senate would uh, appear to have, you know, profited off this uh, crisis we have going on. But let me just say a couple of things really interesting there in what she said. Number one, we've proven several things. Number one, she does not have a blind trust that she works out of. She had, in fact, she said on another interview this weekend that she has a personal family employee that interacts with her investment advisors. Number two, it was not just that she sold or these stocks that she wanted to talk about gaining. She also dumped stocks that lost a great deal of money, but she also purchased uh, Centrix, I believe it is, stock, which is a teleworking stock. And also mm -hmm. Oracle, which is also just announced the other day with the White House working on uh, issues that are going to be dealing with the, the coronavirus. Then also her husband, Jeff Sprecher, uh, who is the head of ICE, the New York Stock Exchange, he owns the New York Stock Exchange, they do also dumped stock in his own company during this time. And and then she tried to say that it was, that was a long time ago. That was, you know, that he had to pr uh, announce that a long time earlier. Well, the sale was roughly at the end of uh, February 1st of March. They have a 30 day notice period. That 30 days was about the same time, if not a couple of days after the briefing that she received. Now she's got to explain it. That's what, that's what she's got to do. But the conflicts in this statement keep to be, keep coming out. And, you know, to say that she didn't, you know, have a blind trust in which she could have had, she chose not to, 
um, just doesn't comport with what we're seeing. And as I've said before, I mean, to to sell the ones that need selling, to buy the ones that needed to, that you could buy, um, it's just real coincidence. A lot of coincidence here, and frankly, I don't think a lot of people are are really buying the uh, excuse right now. They're not. And, uh, you know, it appears to be that she is not telling the truth. It appears and I'm putting the appears out there. Um, it appears to be that she is not telling the truth and she will be under investigation. That also seems to be uh, something that the FCC will be looking at closely. And I got to tell you, it's so disheartening as an American, just a regular American to, and, you know, talking to people out there that have communicated with me after we published the story uh, that are saying, how can they do this to us? You know, we had no idea this was coming. And and here are people that we entrust, lawmakers that we trust, uh, that are benefiting off of this crisis. I certainly hope that it is not true, but it, it looks like, it looks like, and appears to be that that may be the case. And I certainly hope there's a full and thorough investigation. Uh, I know that in Georgia, you are a very popular man. And across the nation, you are very popular as well, Congressman Collins. I'm going to give you the last word. What is your message to the American people, uh, the regular folks out there, just like me and you, who are who are dealing with the coronavirus, dealing with having to be locked down and following all of these new regulations uh, that we're not used to. Um, what do you have to say to us? What do you think will get well, us through this? I think the biggest thing, and it goes back, and as I've told people before, I, I, didn't, I was not in politics all my life. This is something, I was a uh, pastor of a church for a long time, I'm still a chaplain in the Air Force. And in dealing with families, we're, we're all imperfect families. We all have our families, and right now many of us are put into positions that we're not used to. And so the best thing that we can do is, frankly, is, is give each other grace. Give each other just a little bit of, uh, of that grace that we so desperately many times need for ourselves. We're going to say stuff that is uh, gets on other people's nerves. We're going to we're going to be in the same rooms at the same times. We're going to be doing the same things, and, and it's going to be a different pattern. So what I would say to the American people right now is number one: President Trump is doing his very best to make sure that we get through this crisis as quickly as possible, taking care first of the health of our nation, the very physical health for those who have the the, the virus and those who are getting the virus and those who will get the virus, and number two, affecting our economic uh, conditions so that we can come out of this stronger. That's what me and members of Congress are trying to do right now is look for out for you first. So I think the biggest thing as we look forward to this is, is this is a time of, of trial that we're going through, but the way we get through it is we get through it together. Um, and understand that I believe that God still cares about us deeply. And if we understand that and give that to other people, then uh, our lives and our days will be better. And just think about how much more strengthening the times of, of family that we have now that so many times, how many times, Sarah, have you said, wow, if I just was able to spend more time with my kids, well, right. now you're able to, or maybe your neighbors and make the most of it because these days will not last. We were going to come out stronger. We're going to get through this. And when that happens, think about the stories that we can tell. Uh, about how we came together in a time of crisis and worked together uh, to make it better. Thank you, Congressman. And I think for all of us, of, of saying some prayers and really maybe taking advantage. I think you're right. I thought about that this morning when I was looking at my daughter and I was going over her math with her and I was thinking, when am I going to have a chance again to really be working with her at home and spending time with her and my family in such a way. And even though we do get on each other's nerves sometimes, which is like any family, um, this is like a really special time as well 
and just saying, well, it won't last forever. And I think some of us will be like, hey, you know, I kind of miss all that time with my family. So thank you so much for reminding us of that and reminding us of how important we are to one another as a nation and that we're in this together because we really are, folks. Thank you again, Congressman, for being with me today. Uh, it's great to be with you, Sarah. Take care. Thank you for being here at the Sarah Carter Show from my bat cave, my Carter cave, right here in Virginia. I look forward every day to speaking to you directly. I am here with you. Uh, I know you're here with me. I send my prayers out to you, America, to everyone out there that's struggling with this, to everyone out there that's dealing with the coronavirus. And for those of you who have lost your loved ones, if you're listening, my heart breaks for you. We want to be here for you. Please contact me at Sarah Carter DC, where you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. Send me your questions. Send me some ideas for show topics. What means most to you? Is it your children's school? Is it dealing with the hospitals? Is it just feeling alone and, you know, in this lockdown? We want to hear from you. I promise you I'll be here for you. Uh, again, thank you so much for being with me. God bless you, America. Say your prayers and I'll be back with you next week.